0: This is our first one we've recorded completely remotely, so we're hoping that um, that the sound is good enough to be able to put it out there. Okay.
1: And just so you guys, uh, I'm wearing pants. Yeah. So
0: yeah, we, we decided to put them on as well. So yeah, so we're,
1: they were optional. <laughs> so I, you know. Anyway.
0: Perfect. <laughs> we'll make sure to point that out in the podcast too. yeah hr says always wear pants
1: yeah
2: rule number one rule
0: number one awesome all right justin do you want to start recording
2: oh it's recording or have you
0: been recording yeah
2: it's recording
0: oh okay well there you go
2: yeah always come prepared is rule number two
0: Awesome. Well, I will do a quick uh, uh, intro and then um, Anissa will let you give um, some of your background before we get in. But uh, today on our on the podcast, The Journey, we have a special guest joining us on our very first remote podcast. Anissa is in California. I'm assuming. Are you in California today? I am. I am. Yeah, you can't leave California, right? You're quarantined right
1: there. Quarantined. <laughs> right, right now I can't leave California. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes, okay. So good. So you're in California and we're safely in Texas away from the, the California coronavirus that's I don't everywhere.
1: know. I heard
2: that <laughs> I heard that there was a an instance of it here in I know. in Briscoe or something like that. That's what I heard. We probably all have it. We've been leaving our probably. houses. We probably have it.
0: Yes. Uh no. And so, um, so it's our first remote podcast and, um, and I just, as a a quick background, I met Anissa when Defy was merging with another company and we were needing extra hands on, on board to help us with big things like how do we merge the two HR systems together and how do we merge the two cultures together? And. Various other things that we had to make sure we were prepared for pre-merger. So um, Anissa joined us for a little bit then to work on that, and then as I um, exited from that deal, then um, Anissa also, you know, no, no longer helps Defy. But that's where we met when we were needing additional help. And so what what do you, what do you call it, Justin? When she's going to give her background story?
2: Oh, uh, like origin story.
0: Oh yeah, okay, origin story. But she. She doesn't like literally have to start at her birth, right? She can Why just not? give us some yeah. background. That's relevant. What if okay, she's right, one of those? What if
2: she's one of those people that remembers everything? Like, what I forget what they call that? Really yes, there's it's people in the world. You'll have to look this up, but there are people in the world that have vivid memories that can remember birth, and there's a okay. name for it. Maybe she's one of okay. them.
0: Anissa, are you one of those people?
1: I don't know. Should we test the theory? Should test I start it. at my birth? Yep. Yeah, yeah. What was, it, what was it like
0: being born? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was born in the exciting town of Downey, California um, in July of 1973. So I probably have given you way too much information. But, <laughs> but, uh, no, I don't actually call my birth, um, but I, I grew up in California. and spent most of my life here in California, but have traveled extensively. Um, would you like my more relevant origin story? Would that be helpful? Yeah, how
2: yes, did you... How did how did you come to be on this podcast? I guess walk us through yeah. the...
0: Yes. Every, how did everything. everything lead up to this <laughs> amazing moment where you're going to have requests flooding in?
1: Okay. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so I've, uh, I've got about, uh, this year I will have 25 years of experience um, and it started in IT and um, I've also worked in finance and strategy. And then ended up in HR through a series of random moves at a company that I was working at where they just needed some help working, at figuring out how to improve processes. And uh, over time, I kept finding myself in my career getting pushed back into HR just because regardless of what we were trying to do from a business perspective or a technology perspective, it was always the challenge that we couldn't get people aligned to do what we wanted to do. And so... I found myself continually getting pulled back into HR and then probably about 10 years ago, decided that I would just embrace it and go with it because obviously the universe was trying to tell me something. And so um, I, I was working as the head of global talent at AECOM, which is a Fortune 500 engineering and construction firm. My team was responsible for hiring 20,000 people in 150 countries annually, and we were also working on a lot of internal talent initiatives with a focus of really aligning those to drive business outcomes. So your, your things like performance management, succession planning, we were taking a different spin on it and not making them compliance-based, but really thinking about how do we use these tool, as tools to help our workforce get aligned to what we want to achieve as a business. Um, and so I, I did that for six and a half years with AECOM and just had this itch to to do something, to have a bigger impact. And so five years ago, I went out on my own and started Log Lab, which is a people advisory services firm. And um, we provide what I call fractional chief people officer services to middle market and emerging growth firms. So we really help companies think through um, modern HR, so how do we drive business outcomes and create a place where people love to work. And uh, four years into my journey there, I met Stephanie, as she mentioned, at Defy and started doing some work for her, and um, we've kept in touch since then, and so that is what led me to this podcast today.
0: Nice. Nice. And if I were to say, HR sucks, what would you say? It doesn't have to.
1: Oh, that's a great (laughs) (laughs) tagline. Yeah. Um, so last year I I decided to redo my marketing and my branding. And we came up with that, that tagline because it, that most people I talk to are like, yeah, I just, I don't want to deal with HR. Even when I, when I talked to Stephanie the first time, she's like, you know, hey, I don't, I don't want to deal with the compliance aspects of HR. Are you telling me I'm going to get sued if I don't do something? Um, and so, yeah, we, we try to, we use business terms. We don't, and we're not compliance focused it doesn't mean we don't think compliance is important but we focus on really driving the business outcomes and creating a place where people love to work and by doing the right things um we achieve compliance that's really kind of our our approach
2: how did you how did you come up with awesome. the name log lab
1: so log actually means people in hindi and and um, I was when I was deciding to go out on my own, my mom and I were in the Indian grocery store and I turned around to her and I said, hey, how do you say people in Hindi? And she said, Logue. And So that's how we came up with the name. It was that uh, People Lab was obviously taken. So I had to be a little creative on that one.
2: Gotcha.
0: Nice. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. So I guess let's um, jo- John, we'll start with you. Like, what is your or through through your career, what's your experience been, or what's your kind of initial thought? Like we always ask, like what's your initial thought when I say sales? What's your initial thought when we say agile? So what's your initial thought when I say HR?
3: Yeah, so so in ESA, little background. So I've been in um, upper management at mid midsize, you know, ten thousand person companies and stuff like that. So a vice president level, but not not C level type of person. So I've had a lot in and led teams of a hundred or that, that kind of size. So not, not thousand person teams, but not five person teams either. But, um, so anyway, so that's kind of where my perspective comes from. Um, and yeah, I've been, I've been lucky to work with some good, some good HR functions at companies. So when I think of HR, I think of what Anissa said, I think of the compliance aspect of it and, and and all, all the caution and the parameters that, um, I kind of have to operate under to do, different, different things with people. And then I think about, um, the set of the set of policies and pro, eh, policies, is the wrong word, the set of kind of processes around, around, um, around teams and, and those types of things for performance, performance management and, and that. So, so those are kind of my, yeah, yeah, probably my, right. my two biggest, two biggest things that I think about with a lot of thoughts on each.
0: Okay, so more around the structure and, and a positive view of it. Justin, how about you?
2: Um, I've probably been spoiled. I know, I
0: know you actively say you hate HR.
2: No, I don't <laughs> say that. Um, but I see what you were trying to do there, and that didn't work because I blocked it. Um, I've probably been spoiled probably for the last six or so, six and a half years, um, and have maybe a different take on it. But um, generally, when I think of HR now, I, I think of it as, as very positive. Um and it's almost like the it, it, the feeling or the absence of quote unquote HR, I think, is a really good state to kind of be in in terms of, you know, if 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 HR can be sort of this cross cutting concern or this blanket through the organization that just sort of feels natural and isn't sort of this friction point, then I think that's very positive. So I, I as well grew up, uh, grew up doing technology and did consulting for several years and then you know kind of moved up into the upper management side of things as well and so you know one of the biggest things i think is is always trying to push against any kind of friction that that surrounds that so um in my mind you know we started the podcast podcast off saying things about you know we're wearing our pants and stuff and i think those things are, are are typically things that i think when people hear the word hr they're like oh we can't talk about that And in more recent years, when I think of HR, I guess it's really, um, you know, what is it that I can't do? It almost seems like the, you know, this kind of list of things that you're not supposed to do. Um, and so I I don't know, but I I guess I've seen it through several different lenses. Um, but yeah, I'm all around. I'm pretty positive on it. I've seen it done poorly and I think I've seen it done really well, um, but I don't know. What what about you, Stephanie? I don't.
0: Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll give a quick background and then we'll get into some questions for Anissa. But I'm a, I am a little worried about the audio on this podcast because like 95 percent is good. And then every once in a while, each of us are cutting out. So um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, so I, I'm just going to say a couple things that were from my past that maybe you guys didn't experience because you didn't say it. But A, I had the experience that HR was always women and it was always just all women in the organization and so and if you had an executive team the only person that was potentially uh a woman on your executive team was your head of hr so i'm not saying that's a good thing i'm just saying that my experience was that's where the women were and then my other experience in um in previous companies prior to defy was that they hired in young gossipy girls <laughs> and, and and there was always problems and so uh, so I would say in, in general, um, it, it kind of did suck. Like, you know, I know it doesn't have to, but in previous organizations, I would say it did suck. It was kind of gossipy. It wasn't, um, it wasn't always helpful, um, you know, and so forth. It was just, you know, putting out, compl- you know, compliance things that you had to go through or, um, you know, being a place for somebody to go complain and and so forth. I think, um, at defy specifically it certainly i wish i would have had it more at a forefront i, I definitely a culture at the forefront of my uh, thinking but definitely not the uh, hr function and all the different things that it you know that could be done there and so i would agree with justin that i think when it blends into your culture same with legal so if you have a head of legal or you have somebody who's doing your legal they they need to work well within the culture and the and, and so forth. And then I think, um, you know, I think HR is the same way. So I think there's great ways that HR can be fully integrated. I don't like it when it's like the business and then HR is over to the side as a secondary, secondary thought. Yeah. But uh, it sounds, it sounds like all of you have had more, um, examples well, of there being more integrated. Yeah.
3: And I'll, I'll throw one thing in and then we'll let to kind of comment on it. Cause I yeah, went through a generic thing, but, but my relationship with HR, I think I've, I've had a couple of one HR department was very, um, tried to be progressive, tried to, tried to lead in the organization. They assigned business partners. So I was having just ongoing monthly conversations with my HR rep, just what's going on in your organization types of conversations and what can I help you with and what are your issues and more general kind of stuff like that. And then, and then in the, you know, a different company, it was just more, um, more process and procedure, but, but I found in that I kind of got used to partnering with HR in, in the other way from my other company. And I just think, um, it's interesting. I I think they're, my thought of HR just, we're going on kind of our experiences and our, yeah, I, I guess our notions that we've built up over the years, but my, my thought on, on HR and probably humans in general is if you engage them the right way, even if, someone's built to kind of box you in and give you rules. If you, um, that's probably not really what they're trying to do. And, um, if you, if you ask them and kind of engage them on some business issues, which I've, which I've had to do a lot, just, Hey, this is what's going on. What what do you think? How, how can you, can you help me with this? They, they've saved the day so many times. And, and so I, I tend to kind of tit for tat. I'll, I'll go through, I'll, Steph, you're probably really rogue. I'm pretty rogue in the way I lead and manage things. And, and so they have to box me in, in certain times and rein me in, in certain times, but I will definitely kind of go through the waters in the way that they tell me to do it and the way that they advise and kind of I'll, I'll, I'll follow along, you know, but, but, I, um, but I lean on them for advice. And I think in doing that, that um, I've been lucky to have relationships that uh they've been for me and they genuinely have helped me even when they may not be thought of as a terribly helpful organization once you kind of establish a connection where you're looking for them for actual help um then you can kind of um uh get some good things from them and, and work in a, in a real positive way together um okay yeah
1: so and I, I i just I, just want to say, I think it's a really good point because a lot of it is how the business leaders are engaging HR. If they're engaging them from a, um, hey, I want your guidance. I want to partner with you to solve these business issues. I think you get a lot more out of HR versus if they're just looking for the compliance or they're not engaging them on those broader discussions. It's much more difficult to have a productive relationship with HR.
0: Yeah. And so do yeah, you think, about- so, do you think that that comes from the top, like the how the CEO and um, brings HR into it, or do you think it's just how HR engages the business leaders, or it's the business leaders' responsibility?
1: You know, I think it's it's everyone's responsibility. First, I do think the organization needs to be ready for HR to be at the table and to take what they have to say seriously. Um, I think HR needs to speak the language of the business to connect with the business leaders and also to you know, a lot of HR is reactive, it tends to have a very cost center mentality. And which is one of the reasons why it's always a target for cost reductions. But if it takes a different approach and really um, thinks about how it's going to grow the business and, and how it will get ahead of people trends, I think it's a much more effective function. And it starts to have to get more respect at the table, you know, the leadership table, if you will. So I do think it's everyone's responsibility to define um, HR and to make sure it's progressive within the organization and being used in the right way.
0: Right. And so when you're talking to to CEOs or maybe to to, um, leaders who are calling to engage you in your services, what are some things or how do you help them understand how HR ties to revenue and growth and the things that obviously they significantly care about?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, first of all, I I make it a business discussion. We never talk about what's happening from an HR perspective. We start with what's happening with your business. And I'm, I'm sure that you recall our initial conversation, um, Stephanie, because I'm sure it was like one of the best conversations you've ever had in your life.
0: It was. It was amazing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I we we talked about what you were facing as uh, as a business and what we needed to do to get the people aligned to that, and um, and so I think that's the first way that we make that connection. That it's it's very much a business focused conversation. And then when we talk about the programs uh, that are required to achieve those outcomes, we talk about them again in in you know using the language of the business. I'll give you a quick example and. Um, I had a client that told me that they're, um, you know, that they wanted a new performance management process. And when we did some analysis, we found that the company hadn't achieved their operating goals that year, but 86 percent of their employees got a meets or higher.
0: Yeah. And
1: so, you know, looking for those kinds of disconnects, obviously the performance management system wasn't effective. It wasn't created in a way uh, where it was driving the right behavioral or people outcome or business outcomes. So um, it's, it's having that discussion, bringing in the data to, to show what's really happening and then crafting a solution that makes sense. I mean, a lot of our conversations tend to focus around that in the beginning. And so it could be something like, well, you know, our, our performance management isn't working and you can ask, well, why do you think it's not working? Well, you know, we, we didn't meet our goals. And so when you start to dig into it and ask questions, you suddenly realize that there's a bunch of disconnects between what performance management is evaluating and you know, what they're trying to drive as a business.
0: Right, it's, it's hard to get, I mean, any performance management tool still is only as good as the people that are filling it out. And um, we had an interesting early on experience where the culture just was, nobody wanted to give anybody bad feedback and nobody wanted to give anybody bad reviews. And so we weren't hitting our goals either but everybody was fives out of a five right everybody was like 4.5 and 5 and i remember justin would get mad about it um and so but we even saw within that it did rank order the team you know so like your worst people were your 4.2s or something but they were still above four being above average um and so it was it was always difficult i thought to e- even as you trained people on how they should fill it out and what they should do just um some people naturally rate higher and some people don't, but I guess to your point, if the performance management tool is something very objective, did we hit this or did we not, then it's, you know, probably easier to, to get to the right outcome.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think, well, there's, there's a couple of things. One, I mean, you definitely need some type of calibration process as part of your, to, to correct or to adjust as best you can for people having different perspectives and to make sure that you're evaluating people Correctly, And, um, but yeah, it's, it, it, it's also, uh, it, it, it's also one of those things that, like you said, you have to make sure that, you know, it, it's only as good as the people that are rating it. And you want to make sure that you're truly measuring results and not efforts, because those are two totally different things. And where we get stuck in performance management is what is what you were talking about is like, you know, everybody, nobody wants to have that hard conversation of, Hey, we just didn't hit those results. They just want to talk about, but you know, so-and-so did everything they could to make it happen. But at the end of the day, either you hit it or you didn't. Yeah, well, I'll, oh I'll,
0: man, go ahead.
3: Yeah, and I'll, I'll add one thing, um, cause it's been a soapbox of mine um, for sure. Just this, um, I've seen it a lot just in the world, just dis synergy. How can How can um, all these individuals doing seemingly great things get such a such a terrible collective result in an organization? And so, so to me, that comes down to um, a, I think it's a leadership thing. So, so my perspective on it has always been that, yes, if you, if you've got a team of 10 and your team of 10 did, um, did outstanding things or, or better than average things and your, and your team didn't achieve um, something singular or something, something great as a team, then, then yeah, it's either what you guys said. Um, or what's been talked about that, um, okay, maybe you graded on effort and not results, or maybe the, the 10 individuals got great results too. So they gave great effort and got great results, but the leader didn't design the team so that the results of the 10 when put together would add up to great results for the entire team and the organization. So, 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 so often this is what I see in performance management almost, almost every time it just becomes a, um, a cherry picking or the greatest hits, and, and anyone can kind of talk talk about a year's worth of greatest hits and sound sound pretty good if you're if you're decent at that. So I think the leader has the job to um, uh, um, put together organizations that when you do this task and do this task well, and you do this and you do this, it's all going to connect and generate a collective result. And and I haven't seen anybody plan to do the goal, goal setting for the year in that way individuals set goals individuals define things leaders just kind of cross check that but they don't really um look at what all that adds up to you know collectively to to drive a result and i guess the opposite can be true too so anyway it's tricky so how, how do you how do you what would be a best practice on performance management how do, how do you think of that that like at the end of the year, if everybody gets gold stars, will the company have the revenue or whatever their target is? How do you guys bridge that? Or yeah. help companies
1: bridge? And, and so, John, I think it's a lot of what you said about um, really making sure you're setting effective goals, that when you um, when you bring them all together, they they um, result in that. They, they come up, they, or you have that collective result. And, and I think a lot of it is how clear you are with how you set those goals and then how those goals cascade down throughout the organization. And so there's a variety of different ways to do that. And it's always organizational dependent, but you know, everybody going off creating their own set of goals is often not, and then trying to roll it up is often challenging um, to, to get a good result. I've, I've usually seen more of that top down approach where you start with the company goals You then create leader goals, um, and then you create very specific um, goals that cascade down from there for each of the groups, Um, and that's how you align people to the results that you're trying to achieve. Um, And it it feels really top down, and you can have individual goals at a development level, but from a business, from from achieving your business goals, there's got to be that traceability all the way down, all the way from the top to the bottom when it comes to goal setting.
0: Yeah, I like that. And you and I didn't get to work on this particular thing together, but I wish we would have. And uh, and it just reminds me that, you know, as a CEO, no CEO is perfect. No CEO has strengths in all areas. And some CEOs are phenomenal at setting objectives, it was in goals and or, you know, um, setting up the organiz- organization and so forth. And some CEOs are amazing at sales and some CEOs are amazing at product. And so I think the fractional chief people officer is great because it can be a great partnership with somebody like me where this, this doesn't come perfectly naturally to me. Um, maybe after I've done it a bunch of times, it would be easier, but product comes naturally to me or sales comes naturally to me, but this doesn't. And so I think, um, I think your, your company being able to partner with CEOs and, um, and train them so that they can, you know, get better at it versus I know I struggled with um, the effort thing. Everybody, well, I made an effort, I made an effort. And then um, knowing that they were all, you know, good people, good workers, you know, I just, I really struggled with that for a lot of years. So would have been helpful to have um, a partner that that uh, could help me with that definitely
3: well well hey so so this so Anissa, so steph made a comment on on what um kind of what came natural to her and what she's what's learned and what's natural and stuff like that and so this is kind of my thought as i'm talking about um learning to use the hr function as a as an enabler to um as a tool as a thing that helps you kind of um, lead more effectively and um and, and manage more effectively in those types of of things. So so yeah, so so many people as as they get promoted into management and executive roles, um, and I don't know, I'd be interested in what you're seeing in terms of the, the you get promoted on a target skill of some sort, retiring accomplishment of some sort. Often it's not leadership and the ability to organize and coach and utilize the functions around you and know, all that stuff. I mean, that comes. Um, but a lot of times it's just kind of your force of nature within the organization. And so um You get to these spots and learning how to use HR effectively, even at the CEO level, learning how to use your HR function effectively is a great skill at a VP level. It's a great skill to management level, manager level it's a great skill learning how to use HR effectively, how to set effective plans, how to how to develop this chemistry forgetting about individual doing the chemistry of business. So, so all of those things that you don't really, you got to almost learn them by osmosis as you come up through business. And so, so what do you see in that? Does that, are there big gaps there that you see in organizations or does the cream, the people that with those skills tend to rise or do you get to teach them when they get there? What do, What do you see with all that? Yeah. I mean, I
1: think it's a great point. Right. And, um, you know, first of all, just when you get promoted and then it's this big lesson of what got you here won't get you there because you're, you've you got to shift your focus completely. And I do spend time with a lot of newly promoted managers helping to understand what it means to, to manage Be any management is, and, and this is kind of a, a the way I like to think about it, and, and you guys can certainly tell me what you think, but a lot of management is telling, pe- teaching people things that their parents forgot to teach them, right? Uh, so, so you know, it, it, I think what I, what I was saying is it's a lot of, of, of you know, doing things that are uncomfortables, and people still come to work sick, and as a manager, you have to take responsibility for that and, and, and send them home, and, you know, people are reluctant to have Have those difficult conversations. That's a lot of what means. It's definitely part and and what it means. And you're right, John. I think a lot of it is you're expected to do it through osmosis, which is a a difficult way for the for the employees you're managing as well as for the manager who just got promoted. But then I think there's also this this missed opportunity across MBA programs and you know other ways that we are um, educating people of, of the best way to use HR. So I don't think they spend enough time in MBA curriculum really focusing on uh, the HR aspects and how it can be a competitive advantage to really be thinking about your people um, more strategically and to have a good HR partner that uh, that has business acumen that can look ahead is thinking about, you know, where the business is trying to go, what skill sets we need to get there. Um, how we'll find those skill sets, how we train people is just thinking more big picture about where the business is going and what the impact is. The other example um, that, that I like to use on just the short sightedness of companies and where HR can make a difference is when you look at what's happening in Silicon Valley, where you have all the growth happening in one location. There's not enough housing you know, you've got Google engineers living in mobile homes, you're creating a, you know, you're, you're creating a societal issue that will not be easily resolved. And it's all because somebody didn't realize how quickly a company was going to grow and think about how can we get ahead of it, create a quality of life for people and outside of you know, the Bay Area, which I, it's, it's amazing to me. And now you see companies starting to think like that. But, but you know, you, I, I know you guys travel. I know you guys have been to the Bay Area. It's it's crazy up there. Mm-hmm. And, the you know, you can't you, you don't even you can't even buy a house unless you, you know, I think the median house price in San Jose is something like a million dollars. It's absolutely crazy. And that's just not the way to responsibly grow an organization. So. Again, I just I think that's a failure of HR to really think through where is this business going and what are the things we need to do to to make sure our employees are um, are going to be able to to have quality of life in it. And, you know, in in that we're going to be able to grow responsibly as an organization.
2: Yeah. And I might even take it up a level and say it's not necessarily the fault of HR. This is my opinion, but it's almost the I would say it stems from the top. So in my in this, you know, in most common scenarios, that would be the CEO, whoever the operator is like. And so I've never had the privilege, I don't think, of working for an organization where it was sort of HR top down or HR driven type CEO. But I imagine that and this will be interesting to get your perspective since you've for the last five years, you've kind of been doing this and plus. But when you go into organizations to help, I would my intuition would say that you're probably going into organizations that obviously need help in the first place. So by nature, they're probably not HR driven organizations. Um, And so that's just interesting to me because at the end of the day, it's a value exchange between, you know, the employee, between people and, and the employer. Um, and everybody's different. So it's very hard to like box people into, you know, what their ambitions and goals are. Some people are motivated by money. Some people are motivated by the opportunity and and all sorts of things. So it's just, I'd be interested to see what you're like when you go to all these organizations, you know, just top of mind, like, what are you seeing? Are they, are they HR driven CEOs or are they not? Yeah,
1: the the most successful organizations that I work with have an what I'll call an open-minded ceo so definitely wants to have that relationship um with hr but may not know exactly how to create that or may not know or may not have somebody within the organization that they can build that partnership with and so um and and, you know there's if if the ceo is an open-minded um, it doesn't, you know, then even what I do can't really help because they've got to be willing to, to listen and, and to adapt and to change. And, but what has been pleasantly surprising to me is the number of CEOs that I've met that realize that HR can now be a competitive advantage. And that's one of the big differences that I've seen, let's say, over the last even three years um, is just more and more CEOs uh, realizing that they have to think differently about their people in HR, and and reaching out to get higher level help um, in that area.
2: Yeah, and I think that's I yeah. think that's right. Because sometimes you know HR tends to be you know second to the bottom line for most organizations, and they make the assumption that all you know employees are there for one a couple of things, which is a paycheck and benefits, right? And doesn't seem like that's really the case, especially when you're dealing with humans and, you know, everybody's ambitions are different. So, you know, for me necessarily, a paycheck for me necessarily isn't going to be what the motivator is. So if if somebody was, you know, if I was working for an organization or whatever that was, that thought that, I think there would be quite a bit of friction.
0: <laughs> so that, so that brings us into another part of HR. So we've talked about HR from the perspective of compliance and HR performance reviews and, you know, various things. But, um, but culture over the last five to 10 years has been a big word, especially with all the Silicon Valley, you know, companies and so forth. But culture, enjoying your job, being passionate about what you do, what the company stands for, um, has, has come, I think, I feel like more under the umbrella of HR over the last however many years. Is that true, Anissa, or has it always been there, or how have you seen it evolve?
1: Yeah, I think culture has become much more of a focal point. Um, And when it comes to culture, you know, I think HR is doing its best to... Uh, create the culture that CEOs um, are describing. I, I think where the disconnect often happens from a culture perspective is CEOs describe a culture that they're not really ready to adopt. And I think, you know, yeah. I, all of you guys have made this point that it comes from the top, you know, and and they and I think what's what's the one difference. And, and Stephanie, you and I've talked about this is. Nowadays you can't hide, right? You've got Glassdoor which really tells people if you're living your culture or you're not. And uh, people are are more than willing to share and, and you you do find that companies that have the high Glassdoor rating when you talk to the CEO, when you when you work when you're working with a company that it's truly reflective of what's happening there. And you know, companies that come to me and say, "Look, we've got a low Glassdoor rating." Um, can you help us? You know, unless they're willing to be open-minded about either you're not describing your culture the right way, or you're describing something that doesn't exist, and that you're not willing to commit to, um, you really can't make a difference with it. So I, um, I think yes, HR is definitely more focused on culture, but where they, where HR has an opportunity is to hold the leadership accountable for. Um, for achieving or living that culture. So, um, you know, if you say you're going to be transparent, you suddenly can't make a decision that is not transparent. You need to be held accountable and you need to, if someone asks you how you made a decision, you need to be willing to share because you're saying you're transparent. Um, and that's where people get, that's where leaders get really uncomfortable when they're held accountable to these values that they that they um, state, which are more aspirational in nature, that they're not really to, ready to adopt.
0: Right, which is why yeah. it's so important to have your your head of HR, or your partner of HR, have a good relationship with the CEO that can call him or her out when those aren't tying. Because you know probably most PE firms, and everything else, come in and say the most important role is the CFO, CFO to the CEO, and that is important. But but HR holds. All the people, which are the biggest assets that the company has, and so having that good partnership between the CEO and the head of HR, that the head of HR can say, "Look, we're saying this is our culture online, but this isn't our culture. This is what people are saying." It's exactly.
3: So, so that that's kind of that's kind of my thing is is people are so well versed in um, I don't know the the language of the time or what you're supposed to be right. So, so I I feel like everybody wants to be a quote unquote great place. And they um and they wanna they call people their greatest assets and CEOs talk about how important their people are to them. But really are their people an asset or are they a liability? And do do when PE firms buy companies, are they buying them for the assets that they have in their people or are they buying them for the fact that they can cut 20% of the workforce and plow that into earnings and 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 flip the company back out, you know, as a more efficient, leaner, meaner machine. So so I think there's a lot of language that people use. And, and things they do put ping pong tables in every (laughs) place they can and all that stuff. So they do these things, they use this language, but then there, to me, there's, there's just been a disconnect between the soul of a company and the language it uses. And even what you visually see when you walk the halls and, um, and I'm, I'm interested in, in your thoughts. So, so to me, I guess I'm wondering two things, um, one, have you seen because um, we, we were all about the same age in our careers, right? Have you seen organizations just kind of across the board basically get better, evolve in better, more effective ways in terms of how they treat their people? And then two, um, this disconnect that I'm talking about between the true soul of certain organizations or lack thereof and the way they talk and, and the folks that kind of have it where they kind of have the soul that's aligned with being a great place to work. And the others that are kind of faking it and trying to tick all the boxes, but they just don't have the soul. And so it's not adding up and getting the results of, you know, what what true great places to work get. So that was a long question. But but what are your comments on on the evolution of organizations and, and matching up kind of um uh, soul to to the surface? Yeah, so
1: I I think organizations that are dealing with a true skills gap, right? Like your tech companies that, that have had to, to find talent in, in so many different creative ways are more um, open to, uh, you know, to really creating that culture and and in making sure that the culture kind of aligns. So, so I would say walking the, you know, walk the talk kind of an attitude. And um, you see more focus on the culture, more emphasis on the Culture and um, more alignment between what the company is saying and what you actually um, are, are experiencing as you walk the halls. Um, and but I think more traditionally, uh, you know, like organizations that have been around for a long time or dealing with a long-established culture, you know, have those values from you know the '90s, which are all over the wall, but not felt. You know, there's still that disconnect, and you can definitely see it. When you look at Glassdoor ratings, the tech companies are all shooting above four. Um, you know, a lot of the startups are sitting at four or higher, and more of your traditionally run companies are sitting in the threes or you know even the high twos because it it just takes so much effort to uh, change uh, when you've got such a well entrenched culture that that isn't reflective of what you say. So um, I think it just it it takes forever for companies, for large companies, especially to make that move. And I I know that they're they're trying, but it's it's just really hard. There's still a lot of lip service out there Um, and it, it takes a long time for people to actually feel it. And then, you know, you've got the pressures of Wall Street and investors that you still have to make difficult decisions and, I think a lot of companies still haven't figured out that it's not the fact that you make a difficult decision, it's how you frame it and how you treat people as you do it. And if you say that people are your most valued asset, yet you lay them off in a way that shows them no respect or, nor dignity, you know, you're know you not really walking the, 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 the talk. And so that, that becomes the disconnect. And, and that's where I think HR has a definite role to play in terms of making sure that companies, you know, that they're advocating for employees and treating employees with um, the dignity and respect that they deserve.
0: Yeah, that's good. And what, and when you guys were talking about culture, the one thing that, that came to my mind that, and and of course I, I love great cultures. I think it's super important to have, uh, you know, the personality of the organization written down and talked about and so forth. But one thing, because we were going through such growth that people would constantly say is they constantly whine at me that the culture is changing, the culture changing, the culture is changing. And that word is just used interchangeably with things, I think. And so to me, the culture is the personality, the basic. But that doesn't mean as an organization grows, it doesn't change. Right. So you may be an organization with your culture set that doesn't do performance reviews in years one and two. And in years three and four, you need to do performance reviews. That doesn't mean your culture changed. Your culture can be exactly the same. It means you've put a process in place and sometimes people will use, you know, I guess um, I I guess the, the things that you're doing to mean the culture when that's not really the case.
1: Yeah, I mean cultures are going to evolve especially as you grow. And if you've built a culture that is like, you know, in a 10-person office where the CEO is walking around every day checking on everybody, that can't scale. So, you know, obviously there's going to be some evolution there. But if you can teach, you know, each of the managers to take the best aspects of that culture and integrate it into their working style, that's when you really start to to make sure it's scalable and working across the board.
0: Right. Absolutely. So, Two things. Uh, we're on, on time. We probably need to wrap up in a few minutes. Second, I'm really hoping that all that you said came through in the podcast so that um, you don't have to record it again because it was really good stuff. So we'll listen to it afterwards. But um, I guess in and wrapping up as you're as you're thinking of the millions that are listening to this podcast <laughs> and. Um, millions. <laughs> millions yeah millions uh and That's whether probably why the
2: recording's so bad is we're live streaming it now and you know the bandwidth just can't can't hold <laughs> That's
0: that must be it yeah millions are listening and causing it to crash um but yeah like as, as you're there are going to be different people listening to it maybe not millions but they might be hr leaders they might be you know junior leaders senior leaders ceos uh it, you know, as far as whether it's your services or them partnering with HR, is there is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to impart um, kind of as our last thought?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think we've covered it. I would just reinforce that, you know, being strategic about HR can truly be a competitive advantage for your company. And so, you know, don't leave that as the last item in the knowledge economy it is all about your team their creativity their ability to deliver and so you know the 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 more thoughtful the more strategic you are about that the the more success i believe you'll you'll achieve as a business
0: yeah that's great advice and then of course again your background that you said at the beginning you haven't always been in hr you've been in strategy and finance and all these other roles and um and now we're doing this so you've seen it kind of across the organization and how important it is Excellent, guys. Any other questions for Anissa before?
2: Um, just last thing is, if how can people get a hold of you? Are you on social networks or anything like that? We can put it in the in the show notes.
1: Yeah. So, um, I'm on LinkedIn, um, Twitter, um, and uh, my my website is uh, www. theloglab. net. Okay. Uh, and those are the best ways to to reach me. Okay.
0: Cool. Awesome.
1: Thank awesome. you. Well, thanks for being on. Yeah,
3: thanks so much. Yeah, right. we appreciate you taking the time.
1: No, I appreciate you making the time. Thanks, guys. Yep. All right. Talk thanks a lot. Soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.